listeners, I'm Michael. And I'm Chase. And welcome to Versus Labs. First off, we wanted to kick off the show with a quick thank you to some of our listeners who provided our feedback. First off, I'd like to call out uh, Sean Powell for his comment on Facebook for us. Um, He gave us a nice job on the podcast. Um, His wife and he were listening to it, and I just wanted to uh, let everybody know that we are actually not certified marriage counselors. Although we are married, but <laughs> probably not the best to go to for that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, I'm not even sure if it's a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type thing. But. Um, off of the Versus HQ boards, JP Go Lightly, checking in from the UK. That's awesome, man. We appreciate that a lot. And uh, Laminate Stasis pointed out some audio quality being a bit off. We're, uh, we're working on that. We're hoping tonight's a little bit better. We got a little bit of a different setup. The echo should be gone. We're probably still going to have some background hiss, but hopefully we can get that taken care of. And, you know, as the more we do this and the more feedback we get and the more listeners we get, the easier it is for us to justify getting some really nice microphone and sound <laughs> recording equipment from our wives. So, um <laughs> And uh, off of Reddit, Kamikaze27, checking in from Tennessee. Man, I feel you not having anyone out there that's got the stuff in stock. Keep bugging them. Hopefully you guys can get something in there soon. Yeah, keep fighting the good fight. I mean, Middle Tennessee, you know, it's not the largest place, not the smallest place either. This is a game for friends. This is a game for community. And the stores will carry it if you can get them to see exactly what kind of community they're going to create. A lot of times they fear creating kind of like a flash-in-the-pan game, something that's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And this game, when it first came out way, way, way back when, it it didn't die without a fight. I mean, this yeah. has some of the most passionate, great community members that I've ever seen. And from what I've seen so far, that's either continued or gotten better as we've entered into this new stage in the 2PCG. Speaking of the new stage of 2PCG, I figure we might as well touch on, uh, you know, what we actually like and dislike about the game. You know, last week we kind of gave you the ground floor intro, how to play. Uh, This week we kind of wanted to kick things off with what our initial thoughts of the game was. And um, the first thing that we really came across after like half of a game, we realized that this game while very easy to get into, right, it's really difficult to master. There's a lot of depth in it. Yeah, it's got it shares kind of that element with poker where it's one of those things where you can sit someone down and teach them the rules in like five to ten minutes and they might actually know the rules after about twenty minutes and then you can actually spend a lifetime <laughs> mastering all the little things that go into it. I mean One of the things that I love about Versus is I feel like I'm far more in control of my results than I am in a lot of other collectible card games because I feel like everything that you create is a sum of tiny decisions that eventually lead to a victory or a loss point. Yeah. And you've got so many different decision points to go back to. Like, should I have formed differently on my turn five? Should I have named something different with um, my Ronan the Accuser? You know, there's just all these different decision and inflection points that really give you, like, the game gives you just as much interest in analyzing it afterwards as it did when you played it. And you're not going to have that kind of experience with, like, say, a Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, I've probably sat down and played, I don't know, maybe 150, 200 games between all the people here playing it. And I think that I can count on one hand how many games came down to me top decking what I needed. I either lost because I misplayed or 
my opponent outplayed me or I won because my opponent misplayed or I outplayed them. It doesn't feel a lot like it's luck of the draw. Yeah, especially when you're looking at two equally matched opponents, you know? Yeah. Like, when you've got two beginners playing, it actually is going to come down to little decisions, you know? Yeah. And it's going to come down to, you know, little formation things. Like, maybe I should have protected my guy in exchange for not stunning a supporting character, you know? Yeah. There's, I, don't, I, I just think it's fascinating. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because uh, <laughs> I, deep I mean, strategy is my favorite thing of all time. I think I think a good jumping off point is that you know it's got a it's got a really low floor. It's really easy to pick up, shuffle up a, a suggested deck, and learn how to play the game. But it's also got a crazy high ceiling. Once you get into it, man, like that Loki deck that we that we've been working on, it's got so many decisions that every single one of them is important to the game. You know, so it's it's very easy to get into and it's very deep it's going to keep me interested for a long time uh another thing that i really like about it is how i know every character i can relate to every character i can remember a time when i read a comic or watched a movie that these guys that i'm laying down on the field and fighting with you know i can remember seeing them somewhere else in the past everybody in this is super relatable and it really makes me feel like it's something that i want to be a part of yeah, they did a really good job. Uh, UDE, uh, or Upper Deck Entertainment, um, I'm not sure they're still in existence. I think they're just actually absorbed into Upper Deck at this point. But um, Upper Deck has actually done a fantastic job of making sure that all the characters are relatable. I mean, if you take a look like at all the various characters, I think like the hardest to relate to would be like maybe Juggernaut. Or Doctor uh, Strange. I think the hardest. <laughs> I think the hardest to like relate to would probably be like Dormammu or Moon Dragon. Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's really cool for me because I'm a huge Marvel fan, and that and that's the first thing that they came out with. But that's not to say that you have to be a Marvel fan. Like, all of the main characters have been in one of the major Marvel movies, and pretty much everyone in the nation has seen those. So, I mean you're gonna know who you're playing with if you have any inkling towards comic books at all. You don't have to be a big nerd to, to get into it. Well, and the potential for, like, when worlds collide, like, that's just looming on the horizon, because yeah. virtually any property that Upper Deck has the rights to, they can plug into the Versus System rules system and get some really cool things. Like, there have been confirmed rumors, based off of Upper Deck employees, talking about that they may explore, like, aliens versus predator world in that realm for example yeah. and they also might be taking a look at like say firefly cast of serenity um so there's a whole bunch of different directions that they can go and all these different universes can play in this one place yeah that'll be really cool man another great thing is it's not a money sink you know you just you pay your one-time entry fee you've got the whole box and you're good to go yeah, that was definitely what sold me. I'm a, I'm in a place, you know, got a wife, got a family, got a day job where, you know, it's it's way more appealing for me to kind of pay a one-time fee or a slightly recurring fee to do something than it is to uh, chase the rabbit and booster packs, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's actually why I got out of other card games because I just, I couldn't afford to keep up with the hobby to remain competitive. Like, I mean, I was even coming over here 
for like um, EDH night whenever we were playing over here. I just didn't have the cards that I needed to even have fun when I was playing with my friends because I just didn't have the money to sink into it. And then you turn around and you go to a local event where you're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to go play against people you've never played against, and you just get smacked down by some guy that's got a deck that he dropped a grand on whenever you're sitting there with your silly little $100 deck full of commons and uncommons. And that's just not going to happen with Versus. If you get beat, it's because you got outplayed and because you got outbuilt. And you can always learn something from every single game because you have every single card. Yeah, there. Oh, it is interesting to note that right now it's really cheap to get into. But if you could look, go through the looking glass and save this game, you know, we've got a good three or four years out of it. Now all of a sudden you're looking at if they don't split formats, if they don't do something like Golden Age, Silver Age, where like Silver Age is the last three sets and Golden Age is everything, you know, then you could look at certain people getting priced out for some of the larger formats. But yeah. by and large, this is one of those games where if you pick it up as it's rolling, I mean, so retail price right now is 50 US um, or 49.95 is suggested retail for US. You can find it a little bit cheaper some places. You can find it a little bit more expensive. And that's for the 400-card sets. I imagine when they start releasing the 200-card sets, the you know, like two-team sets, that you're going to be looking at something more like maybe $29.95 or something yeah. like that. So I think, by and large, your your annual budget would only have to have 110 130 US dollars if you want to Which, include tax. I mean, if you want to go out and buy the latest Call of Duty and then you got to buy every expansion that comes out over the course of the next year, you're dropping 200 bucks on that. You know, yeah, and that's to... without getting into DLC and all that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there because that's going to equal rant really fast. <laughs> um, the last thing that uh, we highlighted and that we discussed is that the games are actually despite being deep, they're pretty quick. Like, we've played some intricate games, you know, like two late-game decks, like, say, a, a Loki versus a Hulk, and those yeah. games could last upwards of, like, 45 minutes, but they were definitely the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And not only that, but, I mean, even those long games, those 45-minute games, they're exciting every turn, you know? Even though they're long, it doesn't feel like, oh, you've been losing for the past 10 rounds and you're just waiting for that final foot to drop. It still feels like you're in it the whole time. And then the fast games, I mean, it's just, it's really rewarding to shuffle up an aggro deck and win in five turns. Absolutely. When you, Whenever you see that dreaded first turn stun, that is... <laughs> That puts the fear in you. I don't. I don't tend to go towards aggro decks that often, but I've had a lot of fun, you know, playing certain decks like Rocket, for example, where it really rewards that all-in play style, and you really do. Even if you don't win, you're gonna put the fear in them, and they yeah. will definitely, definitely be responding to that. Yeah, the fun thing about the aggro decks is it always kind of feels like you're setting the pace and that your opponent is always having to be reactive and they never get the chance to be proactive and set up their board state. Yeah, in some decks you really have to start forcing their plot twists a little bit earlier than they would like because many of them benefit from waiting till turn 7 to drop Loki or they kind of hold their plot twists until their main character has 3 or 4 wounds and then they start unloading and aggro decks can force the action earlier so that they're not trumped by the late game card. We also had a couple cons about the game. You know, not everything yeah. is sunshine and roses. <laughs> yeah, it's not all good. It's got it's it's not without its faults, that's for sure. 
Yeah, so like basically one thing that has really helped other card games succeed is a thriving singles market. Um, this is something that's very important, especially at a local community game shop level, because singles are so easy for stores to pick up at 40% or 30% of what they're going to sell them for, and then just turn those around, and singles are kind of the gift that keeps on giving. You know, People will come in, buy packs, trade the best singles out of those packs to get more packs, and um, Versus isn't going to be able to really compete in that market. Now, that was a very intentional decision by Upper Deck when they released the deck, because the last time Upper Deck competed in this space, they lost in a lot of ways yeah. you know they kind of they kind of attracted a uh, an environment that was all sharks and um it took a while to grow into a shark because of the high skill cap of the game so <laughs> yeah so it, it, it it's kind of like the the game's greatest strength is also its greatest weakness you know i mean you get every card right out the gate uh the problem that i'm really having since we haven't really got the option to move to organized play around here yet is that I can only make maybe two relevant decks at any one time. I've got a notebook just full of my deck lists because I've got to shred a deck every time I want to try and make a new main character. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, how many copies of Mantis do you need? How many copies yeah. of Yondu, Four Drop Sabertooth? I mean, like, yeah. there's so like there there's some very key positions that end up just kind of going from deck to deck. You know, if you're a mid range or control deck you're going to want some form of ramp in there, and Mantis is pretty much the only card that fits the bill consistently. You know? So, I mean, there are a couple workarounds for this. I know for us, um, Chase and I have both ordered a second set of the Versus system, and, I mean, that's obviously not a great fix, but uh, mm. it's it's kind of what we've had to do now so that we can have a, a second set. Um, I consider that more of a sign that we have, like, an addiction. You know, you, you kind <laughs> of have a problem probably you know, but when when you want to try and be an ambassador to a game it's really important to have multiple decks built with all the cards being exactly what the cards are instead of some shorthand proxies or just right. just scribbling even the odds or think again on the back of an index card or something like now, that i mean that is another option you can always proxy in cards i uh i've been running my makeshift proxies at least till our second set gets here that does usually set you in for a bit more money then though because now you've got to get sleeves so you can sleeve up your whole card your whole collection and then drop your proxies into the sleeves but uh, i mean i would really suggest sleeving anyways it just makes it so much cleaner and better uh the only other real option that i can think of is if you've got multiple people around you and they aren't using certain cards if your buddies have the collect the the system as well you can always beg borrow from your buddies but i mean that's that's not very clean either then what happens whenever like let's say i've got chase's i don't know magnetos and he wants to put them in a deck well now he's got to wait for me to come over or call me up and have me come over i mean it's not it's not a clean fix either yeah there's it's kind of like you know if you had say just a board game like settlers of Catan. Because it's designed to all be played just with you having that board game, anytime you loan out pieces to that board game, even if they enhance somebody else's experience, that kind of removes a lot of the value of your board game. Yeah. So, I mean, some card sharing collective stuff. If you guys think of any creative way to do it, please send it our way because um, we're dying to have as many decks possible built within the gauntlet. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, the next con that... Uh... 
I kind of noticed from the ten from the Gen Con 10K is that not all of the main characters are currently competitively viable. I mean, at the 10K, Green Goblin was played in one deck, you know, and then you've got like 30-something Thanoses, 30-something Star Lords, and that could that could just be chalked up to these guys only had two days and they weren't really able to mad scientist a Green Goblin deck together. But even still, now that we're two weeks into the game there's MCs that I really haven't tried yet because I just don't see how they can be good. Yeah, I'm probably not going to build a Green Goblin deck because uh, I'm not a huge fan of A, random discards. His value is so incumbent on you hitting well with the first couple random discards because resources are so precious in this game. You know, you're normally only going to get to activate maybe three or four resources a game bar a Thanos deck or six drop Iron Man, you know. So it, it, you, because of that, trading re- precious resources for the possibility of taking, in, like, the curve topping card or the perfect plot twist, it's just, it's so far from a sure thing. And sometimes well, they'll just let the stun happen. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, I mean, Green Goblin is really just a worse Yondu. I mean, you're using him to remove a particular card on the board, so you might as well just be playing Yondu there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, it, and I think there's a Reddit thread to that. I think there was, like, a challenge, like, build the best Green Goblin deck you have, and, like, a couple people threw it together, and then eventually somebody was like, time out, time out. Why don't we just put Yondu and Gambit in a good deck? <laughs> yeah, like, cool. exactly. <laughs> like, there's just no real reason to play a couple other ones, too. Like, I mean... Uh, Deadpool's really difficult to put together. And that's not to say that these guys won't get better as time goes on. And maybe they're better in different formats. You know, maybe maybe Deadpool really fits a multiplayer format because, you know, Deadpool gains an XP if at the end of your turn a person has all of their characters stunned. So, I mean, maybe Deadpool fits in a multiplayer game. Maybe Green Goblin fits... I don't know, maybe Green Goblin fits next year. I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, there. well, it would take them printing like a supporting character that say it was like a two drop three two with two health that read whenever your opponent discards a card this includes power-ups this character put a plus one plus one counter on this character like green goblin would require some sort of like snowball effect in order and he'd probably trend aggro deck because it's flight you know and flight's really really strong especially early game you'll notice how a lot of the early drops don't have flight that's intentional yeah um they want Cosmos and Yondus to be able to do their work early game. Um, So the main characters, like, there have been a couple tier lists put out there. Um, It's pretty obvious, like, that people are trending towards the people that they can level the fastest, and I think that makes a lot of sense, you know? You know Star-Lord is gonna get his XP, and if he curves out or goes off-curve one turn, and for some of our uh, newer listeners or newer players, off-curve, so, like, the general goal in a versus game is on turn one, you may or may not play a one drop, but on turn two, you want to play a two drop. On turn three, you want to play a three drop. On turn four, you want to play a four drop. And that process, assuming that you are playing a drop that is equal to the number of your resources, that's referred to as playing on curve. Yeah. When you playing play off curve, curve yeah, you got that. Ele- playing off curve is either on 
turn three playing a two and a one or on turn three playing a four drop, you know, ramping up into the higher casting cost ahead of your opponent. And I mean, that's what Star Lord excels at. You know, he's a pay a pay a what is it, an academy and your supporting characters cost one less this turn. I mean, that gives you a saber tooth on turn three, which is absolutely devastating. So characters like Star Lord are going to level. And then you've got some other guys that they're kind of like tier two. They're difficult to level, but maybe their stats are really good, or maybe their powers are really good. Like I really like Iron Man's uh, Repulsor Blast. You know, put a neg one, neg one counter on someone, you may push them to the back row. Being able to adjust someone's lineup in this game is so powerful. It allows you to get to those characters that they're trying to protect. And not only that, Iron Man starts with ranged flight you know right out the gate he's got two really strong static keyword powers and he's got a really good uh superpower but his level up is really tough you've got to power up and you power up by discarding a card with the same name as another card on the board and it's just super random when it happens so, yeah it, i mean I, you ahead. have to try and find ways to mitigate that randomness right so you've got to find like Rocket is a really good example where you can play three drop rocket to recycle somebody who you've already um, you've already powered up and power ups like a plus one plus one counter especially early game is actually savagely good in this uh -huh. game uh -huh. just because uh, all of the main characters are priced into being about just slightly better than two drops two drop supporting characters so once you start getting so whenever a main character can get a plus one plus one counter. Like, that's exponentially better early game. So Iron Man kind of trends aggressive because that's where you want multiple power-ups to curve, but his, yeah. his abilities are useful throughout the entirety of the game. But, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're trying to win a game, you're likely not going to play Iron Man. You're likely playing an Iron Man deck because you want to challenge yourself or you're wanting to abuse that push-and-pull mechanic of moving people around. It's not really a if I've got this deck I'm going to win type of deck and that's just kind of the problem that we see with the main characters the tier list and the power levels are very obvious and that's probably due to the fact that there's a very small card pool right now I'm sure upper deck understands this and is it's intentional and they're working on shoring it up they just didn't well, want to come out a thousand cards right out the gate and try and make everyone pay a hundred dollars to get into the game <laughs> plus I mean there's something to be said for how much better organized people are in this day and age you know like this game's been out for about a month and there's a reddit thread there's a facebook page there's i recently saw a youtube that was explaining the basics that got posted to reddit you know you've nice. got versus hq so you've got all these different pools of information and groupthink and so you actually already have people bouncing ideas off of each other so you're so normally you would only get exposed to who you played with at the kitchen table and now it's like oh, well, these guys already tried an Iron Man deck, so I know that I'm going to, if I really want to jam him, I'm going to trend him this way. So we yeah. kind of have already created and shaped a metagame. Yeah. So the next issue, I mean, and this kind of stems from the main character problem, is the supporting characters, you have obvious winners and losers at pretty much every single spot. Yeah, like it's... Um, 
one of the first things we noticed is that Sabretooth can go in every deck, and you need a good reason not to be playing him as your four drop. And normally yeah. that reason is to be turning on a plot twist. He doesn't need to team attack in order to have a really good impact on the game, so you can almost just throw him randomly into anything and watch. And there are some games where it's just like, oh, an accelerated Sabretooth draw, not getting out of that, you know? Yeah, and there's just there's not anything else at four that is like that. Everything else at four is like, well, I will play Storm here because I'm playing an X-Men deck and I need someone to team attack at four, but why not just play Sabretooth? You know, I mean, the there's all these pros and cons to, to each individual card all the way up, and it starts at one and it ends at seven. The only reason it doesn't end at eight is there's only one eight drop. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's really no competition for Thanos, right? He is the best eight drop. <laughs> uh, unfortunately he's also the worst but yeah it's it's hard like the sevens kind of differentiate themselves so like in a in a resource light deck that doesn't require a lot of resources early dormammu is almost always correct because what other drops can allow you to take like your opponent's six that you just ko'd or even one of your opponent's fours the the difference between playing a seven drop and a four drop is not going to be that much different than your opponent playing a 7-drop, and they've got more supporting characters to stun. So it's actually better yeah. sometimes to spread out that power level. you know. And then you've got Adam Warlock, who, once again, <laughs> if you have those resources to spare, 13-13 Flight on 7 is awfully scary to virtually yeah, everything. I, mean, I, I almost never want to play Dormammu over Adam Warlock. It's very rare that that happens. The point of the matter is, is we already have an idea. Like, the best aggressive two drops are like Namor and Daredevil, right? Yeah. The best defensive three drops are like Red Skull, Doc Ock, yeah. right? And it, it's just no question outside of that, you know. Yeah. So, and again, this is something that is likely going to be ish, talked to in further expansions. But as it stands today, you're only going to see so much variation in competitive decks because there's just not a lot of cards that you want to put in there. Your biggest variation that you're going to see is counts of those cards where you might be running three, someone else is running four. I, I guess another thing that we definitely need to talk about is they're just like right now, there's just not enough exposure to the market, you know, yeah, for I mean, everybody who knows versus there's 10 people out there that would love playing the game, especially with the boom of Hearthstone. They might be looking for something a little bit more complex that won't take them forever to learn, you know, and this falls right in their wheelhouse. I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't have known about Versus had you not told me about it. And it's not like I've exactly got my finger on the pulse of the CCG market, but I'm not under a rock either. I hadn't heard about anything about the new verses and i don't know if that's because i'm not hitting the right avenues it's just not really marketed that well at least around this area yeah one day i, I was cruising facebook blink blink michael barnes took second at a 10k where have i heard 10k <laughs> before oh yeah 10 years ago i used to go to those oh <laughs> and then you know 10 minutes later i'm like calling up my local game store like are you going to get this? Get when are you going to get this? Mm -hmm. You know what time it is. It's 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 versus time. That's right. And what's <laughs> funny is that there wasn't a whole lot that hit this area. Like, we've got, what, four or five game stores around here. I think only three of them got it. They were all sold out within the first week. Yeah. So, it, I mean, 
the market is here, but they didn't start selling until you and I started telling people about it. Yeah, and I one of the things that we're going to try and do to combat this is instead of playing on the kitchen table, we need to make it a point to get out there and play at some stores. Let people yeah. walk up to us. Let people ask us, what are we playing? What do we like about it? What don't we like about it? You know, because there's so many resources out there, and honestly, it's it's love at first game with this bad boy. I mean, that's pretty much it for pros and cons from us. Uh, just a quick overview of what it is that we thought about the game. Something that I kind of wanted to touch on, though, is, you know, the guys that are out there that are starting to get in that listen to, to Podcast One and want to know where to go from there is what it is that we're playing now and why it is that we're playing it. Kind of how I frame this is if, you know, like, let's go into total preposterous land here for a second. <laughs> if aliens landed on planet Earth and they tapped and me. no predators around. Right, right, no predators. <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to handle this ourselves <laughs> and how they wanted to play was this cosmic game of verses where we each were kind of building out of the same box what deck would you build to put the entire world on the line like if you absolutely had to have a win or the consequences would be dire slavery for the entire human race what would you be playing <laughs> I don't know Chase what would you play oh such a cop out all right I'd be rocking Star-Lord. Um, Star-Lord yeah, Star is just... It's the absolute hallmark of consistency. I'm not sure it has the highest power level of all the decks out there, but I I seem to always be playing the bad guy whenever we're testing, whenever we're running decks into each other, figuring out if ideas are viable or not, and we're always like, Star-Lord is kind of the litmus test. Like, can it take a game off Star-Lord on the draw? Can it take a game off Star-Lord on the play? Those are different boxes that we need to check if we're deciding if a deck is good enough. You know, so... And, and I just always found myself playing Star-Lord, and I kind of got used to being the bad guy, and I kind of like it, you know? <laughs> so um, I would definitely be rocking Star-Lord. I love the late game. I love the fact that even the bad draws eventually have a good turn like a better turn than any other deck in the format yeah. can produce what is it about star lord that works why do you want to play him what works about star lord is you're playing a whole bunch of powerful grow characters like you're playing Sabretooth, you're playing you're playing groot who's probably going to get covered in the deck here very shortly because i'm so <laughs> sick of losing him to cosmo <laughs> you're playing with um drax so you're playing with a whole bunch of characters that have the potential to kind of snowball the game out on their own you also have yondu with not a whole lot of competition for his resource so you tend to be pretty well poised against the aggro and kind of team attack decks and i also think that mantis is probably one of the best characters in the game just because like the difference between a three drop and a four drop is so significant yeah. in this game you know, most most fours can outright stun threes, and not all threes can outright stun twos. Yeah. So, like, that's where you really see the power creep starting to happen. So going from two to four is just such a huge drop. You get to, like, I'm never really happy with the three drop in this time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, not only can you go from two to four, thanks to Star-Lord's superpower, you can actually go from two to five if you drop a Mantis. Absolutely. So, I mean, just being able to go ahead of the curve like that, especially on the play, it's so devastating. Unless you're playing against a hyper-defensive, like, Loki or Magneto deck. And even then, 
those guys are on their heels for the next three or four turns until they can finally get caught up. Yeah, and they pr- and they prey on team attacks. Like those decks really, really take advantage of aggressive decks that team attack. Because things like metal and fire, like the plot twist that gives neg one neg one to all yeah. opposing characters in a battle, it's if, so if you get that broken. off in a team attack, it's ugh, it's rough. <laughs> You know, and Star Lord is very much—it's very much a mid-range deck. You know, against the control decks, it can be aggressive, and against the aggressive decks, it can really play a control game. And part of the flexibility of that deck is understanding, like, oh, I'm up against a Captain America. I'm kind of the defense, you know, so yeah. I might—I might need to form accordingly. I might need to play accordingly. You know, I might need to be willing to take a few stuns. I may have to wait to use even the odds until Captain gets to level two, you know? Yeah. So, like, it just changes how you frame the entire game, and I love that flexibility. What would you play to save the world? Man, if an alien came down and tapped me on the shoulders and told me that we were going to play versus for the fate of humanity, I would probably just turn big and green and Hulk smash. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just my go-to right now. I've always loved... The, the decks that can grow out of control and man does Hulk do that really well um, I've got it built up as a ramp deck so I'm running Mantis and I'm running Nick Fury and being able to get two three turns ahead of the curve in a deck where you're suiciding your main character in anyways right like that's kind of the different thing about Hulk he gets an XP every time he gets stunned he only has six health and he requires four xp to get leveled you've got to get stunned four times before he gets angry and turns into the big green rage monster so not only does it kind of set your opponent up to think oh man i've only got to stun him two more times not only do i have to only stun him two more times you know he's just been running into this wall over and over again but what they don't realize is that you're setting yourself up you're making these trades at the cost of your own wounds and you're getting ahead of the curve. It's like, okay, at the start of turn five, I've got a Hulk online. I ramped a Mantis. I've got a Nick Fury that's got me two resources. I can drop a Thanos, turn five. And I've got a 6-6 six, six Hulk. And I've got a resource available to make him a 10-10. And then that's just a wall that a lot of people can't come back from. And then on top of that, it runs a lot of defensive plot to us that you're just going to hold in your hand until you get leveled up so that you can play those think-agains whenever they think that they've got you on the ropes, or you can play those fine covers whenever you're going to lose a, a non-favorable team attack. Yeah, I, I kind of like... It's interesting. Hulk is very much a flip-the-switch deck. Like, playing possum, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm huge, deal with yeah. it. Yeah, it's so. kind of... It's this it's this kind of weird, like, hi, uh, hybrid deck that goes from hyper-aggressive early to this late-game ramp deck. And it's it's a lot of fun to play. You've really got to switch gears once Hulk gets leveled up. And then not only that, Hulk's level two ability, uh, Banner's Influence, removes all plus one plus one counters, and you draw that many cards. That can be so game breaking. It's like okay, you're in the build phase of turn five. You've hit your resource ramp, but you haven't hit that Thanos. Guess what? You get to draw four cards this turn if you set up Hulk to have Hulk smash on him. So, I mean, even from a plot twist standpoint, it's, it's ridiculous because our earth's mightiest heroes is probably the best static plot twist in the game. You know, like even the odds produces the most blowouts probably, but earth's mightiest heroes is definitely the least fair combat trick because we don't care if you're attacking. We don't care if you're blocking. We don't care if you're team attacking. None of that matters. All that matters is you're going to get a flat plus two plus two, and Hulk can bury you in card advantage with plot twists like that and think again. Yeah. 
So I mean, let's let's kind of talk about even the odds because where the where Hulk falls is actually too even the odds in Doctor Strange. He has anybody that can manipulate his counters. It makes him really difficult. Now, don't don't get me wrong. A six six is still nothing to laugh at. But whenever you're swinging in with what you thought was going to be a fourteen fourteen, and now all of a sudden he's a six six, it's kind of game breaking. So to get around that, we're running uh, we're running Ronan, and what Ronan does is he allows you to accuse your opponent's hand. They reveal their hand, and you get to. Uh, uh, they have to discard any card that you named. So it's a little different with Ronan because you're wanting to hold on to him until Hulk is at his at a vulnerable position, and then you want to drop him, accuse him even the odds, look at their hand, and hopefully you hit him. And if you don't, then you know that you can just start swinging for the fences. It doesn't matter. You've got to see what they had in hand, and Ronan's got two health, so you're going to get another accuse with him so you can hit whatever their answer to your Hulk was. Maybe it was a Thanos. Maybe they had... I don't know, a Doctor Strange that they hadn't played yet. You can get those answers out of their hands. That sounds like a pretty good deck to save the world with. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that one of us would be successful, and if not, Hopefully. I'd like to think that in between our slavery gigs, they'd still give us a little bit of time to uh, jam some verses. That'd be nice. Let's be honest, though, the aliens are probably playing Green Goblin. Right. So we're fine. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. No, man, they just they, they were like, oh, Green Goblin, he looks just like us, we gotta play him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I think we're running a little bit long, so I think let's go ahead and just close out. Um, okay. I think, first off, I'd really like to thank everybody who's listening. You know, every listen matters to us, you know. We really, <laughs> we really appreciate everybody tuning in. The community is small, but we are mighty. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I was refreshing, like, once every 12 hours and be like, oh, sweet, we're up to 40. Oh, sweet, we're up to 60. Like, it, it's just so cool to see that so many people are tuning in to us. It it, uh, it warms our uh, tiny little gamer hearts. <laughs> that are about three sizes too small because, <laughs> you know, so focused on value. Um, <laughs> but it, anyways, um, we love feedback. We love listeners. Uh, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook. Um, Facebook, our page is uh, facebook.com slash uh, versus labs podcast. Twitter. That's, that's VS, VS labs podcast. Twitter is at VS labs podcast. No spaces, no underscores, no problems. And then um, you can also reach us at VS labs, L-E-B-S podcast at gmail.com. And uh, Michael and I both monitor that inbox. So if you have any ideas for shows, if you're interested in guesting, if you want to suggest a topic, if you absolutely take a front to the tone I used when I was talking about your grandmother, I apologize. <laughs> if you know how to make Green Goblin work, please let us know. <laughs> absolutely. Somebody's got it, right? <laughs> Hopefully. Keep on giving you podcasts as long as you let us, and then we probably might go a little bit further than that so just <laughs> fair right, warning thanks for listening in this is michael and this is chase see ya